Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. You're listening to the Sham Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
46, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, 
Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Yeah. <laughs> 
Good morning and welcome to your early Sunday morning gospel program. One inspirations here on Talk to You and Chat. Suffer 
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Good morning once again. You're listening to your early Sunday morning gospel program, Morning Inspirations here on Talk Show and Jam Radio. It's prayer time.
failure. What was it that caused this man to fail in later years? Well, I don't know all of the reasons, but I know that God has given us this story for our instruction and our warning. And hopefully, at the end of our study, we will, by his grace, be able to avoid the searing words of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the Galatian church, You were running so well. What stopped you from obeying the truth? I invite your attention to the last chapter in the biography of this ordinary believer, Judges chapter 8. You remember from our last study, Gideon led the people in an amazing victory over the Midianites. In fact, God's power was so wonderfully displayed that 120,000 of them killed each other, and Gideon chased the remaining 15,000 and drove them off the face of the earth as God's tool of judgment on the idolatrous nation. And what happens next you would almost expect to happen, because he has been the fearless leader. And the people come with an interesting proposition, which we find where we left off, that is verse 22. Look at it with me. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, also your son's son, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. Now before we take a look at Gideon's answer, let's stop to observe the nation Israel because they're not smelling like roses either here. You notice the words, you have delivered us. The failure of Israel here is to acknowledge that God did the delivering. In fact, in Judges chapter 8, you'll not find one stitch of thanksgiving. In this entire chapter, you never read of the people stopping and saying, God, thank you for delivering us from these oppressors that brought about famine-like living. Thank you. They never said it. Reminds me of Romans chapter 1, verse 21, where it talks about the unbeliever. As it says, though they knew God, they did not acknowledge him, nor did they thank him. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the chief characteristics of the unbeliever is that they are ungratified, or I should say they do not show gratitude toward God for what God has done. And this is the Israelite nation here. So instead of thanking God, they thank Gideon. At the same time now, they they tempt him with a very exciting proposition. Gideon, we want you to be our king. In fact, we want your son to be our king and his son. What are they asking? They are asking Gideon to be the first in a dynastic rule. He will be the first king, and his family will be the first dynasty in Israel. Very flattering. And the answer he gives is the high point of his career. From here on, it goes downhill. But look at it with me in verse 23. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. Nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Fantastic answer. He's right on. Because God was the king in this theocracy. The nation would be ruled by God through prophet and through judge. Not a man. And so Gideon responds by saying, that would be wrong. God alone should be the king of Israel. If we could close the book here. End of chapter, end of story, end of biography. It would be wonderful. But the next verse reveals what will be a spiral downward in the life of this once great man. Look at the next verse, verse 24. Yet Gideon said to them, I would request of you that each of you give me an earring from his spoil. For they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites, verse 25. And they said, we will surely give them. That is, this is the least that we can do for you. 
So they spread out a garment, and every one of them threw an earring there from his spoil. And the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple robes which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the neckbands that were on their camel's neck. Now, most scholars believe that this loot is valued in today's market at somewhere between $350,000 and $400,000. Now, when I read that verse, the first thought that I came to my mind is probably what just came to yours. Uh-oh, Gideon, like so many others, has gotten greedy. But that isn't the case. In fact, the next verse gives us the motive for him requesting this gold. Verse 27, and Gideon made it into an ephod and placed it in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there, so that it became a snare to Gideon and to his household. The word snare means to allure and to entrap into ruin. This ephod will ruin, it will destroy Gideon's family. Now I have a couple of questions. First of all, why was making this ephod alluring to Gideon? And second of all, why would it destroy his family? What's so bad about that? Well, you need to understand, if we can back up for just a moment, that the ephod was very significant to Israelite worship. The ephod was fashioned something like an apron. It was part of the clothing. It was the outer garment of the high priest. The ephod also had a pouch in it in which were kept the urim and the thummim. We're never told what the urim and the thummim were, but these were the vehicles whereby God spoke to the high priest and through him to the people. It was the means of getting God's attention, as it were, and hearing from God. So what we have here is Gideon making an imitation ephod. And this, according to the scriptures, will destroy his life. In fact, it seems that he assumes the role that God never intended him to play, that is high priest. A counterfeit ephod, thus a counterfeit priesthood, and also, if you notice in that past verse, a counterfeit location for worship. We'll look there in just a moment. But here's where it gets interesting. Why would Gideon want to play priest and move worship to Ophrah? Well, the truth is, if we can put the clues together, the priesthood during Gideon's reign as judge was corrupt, immoral, at least it was ineffective. In fact, nowhere in the entire book of Judges do you read of a judge or a, a high priest fulfilling his function. You never read in this entire book of a high priest leading the people in worship. It's absent, and it's absence, it's silence, shout, where are they? Something's wrong. Furthermore, the tabernacle was located in Shiloh, where the place of worship was supposed to be at this point. Guess who controlled Shiloh? His favorite friend, the Ephraimite. You remember those from our last study? They jumped all over Gideon's back because he didn't invite them to fight with him. In fact, in chapter 12, they got onto another tribe for the same reason, and they responded by saying, we're so upset we're going to burn your house down. You remember that story? Well, these petty people controlled the center of worship. And the priesthood within that system were ineffective. And so perhaps Gideon reasoned in his own mind, wait a second, I'm the person that God has spoken to. I'm the leader. I'm the one whom God is using to lead these people. I'll take it one more step, and I'll assume the role of high priest. It makes sense, but it won't work. 
fact, Gideon here breaks three commands. Number one, Gideon was not qualified to wear the ephod. In Exodus chapter 28, God specifically says that only the Aaronic uh, descendants could wear the ephod, only the high priest, not Gideon. He has no right to assume priestly duties. Number two, the ephod was constructed with the wrong material. According to the Pentateuch, the ephod was to be constructed of blue material, not gold. Perhaps the people and Gideon himself were impressed by constructing an ephod out of this precious and rare metal. But they and we should learn that God is not impressed by beauty. He is impressed by obedience. Number three, the most significant error is this, perhaps. The ephod was in the wrong location. Gideon then instituted a rival form of priesthood, a rival form of worship, a rival location. Perhaps his motives were sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. Look back at the result in verse 27. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. The words play the harlot always refer to spiritual failure, unfaithfulness. So God refers to Gideon's solution as Spiritual adultery. He has no business making this ephod. The people have no business going to Ophrah to worship. They are committing spiritual unfaithfulness. That's what God has to say about what Gideon does. But maybe Gideon thought that God had made an exception for him. Leaders do that. They live by different rules. When will we ever learn that spiritual leaders do not have spiritual privileges. So what does God do? Look at verse 28 with me. So Midian was subdued before the sons of Israel, and they did not lift up their heads anymore. And the land was undisturbed for 40 years in the days of Gideon. That is fascinating to me. Wait a second. All of these things have happened. Where's the thunder from heaven? The bolt of lightning, immediate judgment on a man who has gone haywire with his attempt to institute a rival form of worship. So, well, God must approve. Evidently, Gideon thought the same thing. But God does not make exceptions for him, nor does he for you and I, even though he has used our lives in the past. Just because the heavens are silent when you and I sin does not mean that God is condoning the sin or that God isn't noticing. Right about now would have been a good time for a bolt of lightning, and it may have jolted Gideon back like some kid caught. Being caught sometimes is a good thing. I can remember as a 16-year-old getting my license. Do you remember that, some of you think back? Some of you think way back here, 16 years old? Freedom, man. Driver's license, the set of keys, and you're on your own. I can remember my father had, when I was 16, this huge Buick LeSabre. It was about 15 years old. That was when they made them really big. Didn't have an air conditioner in it. We'd roll all four windows down. One summer, the summer after I got my license, my cousins and clan arrived from Minnesota. My favorite cousin, Mark, and I decided we'd go for a ride. So I asked Dad for the keys. And Dad gave them to me with that look that dad gives 16-year-olds about to take a ride. 
I said, you know, Dad, no problem. I'm just gonna, we're just gonna putz around the block a little bit. So he gave me the keys, and Mark and I got in. I was driving. Mark was sitting over on the passenger side. He looked at me and smiled, and I looked at him and smiled, and I just eased out of the driveway. All the families out there, you know. And I probably went five miles an hour down the road, Red Brook Road, turned right, went about a half a mile, and came to an area which emptied out onto Military Highway, which was the main drag. There the light was red. And I looked at him, and he looked at me. I know this surprises you that I would ever do anything like this. <laughs> but that light turned green, and I pushed that accelerator to the floor, and we took off. We were having a riot, and, and about that time, about 10 seconds later, we were up to about 65, 60 miles an hour, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I see billows of smoke coming out from underneath the car. And I'm not a mechanic, but I knew that billows of smoke should not be coming out from underneath the car. So I pulled over off of Military Highway, and my cousin and I knew, well, my cousin knew that I was in trouble. We called my father and my uncle, his brother, came to pick us up. And uh, my uncle was driving, and Mark and I kind of slid into the back seat, and of course I said, you know, I have no idea why this happened. Uh, of course, I uh, can't understand it, but uh, anyhow, something's wrong. And uh, my father looked over at my uncle, who was a little bit more of a mechanic than him, and he said, well, he said, how does, how does something like this happen? And my uncle floored it, and we shot forward, and my cousin and I slid down in our back seat, and I could have killed my uncle for doing that. You know, it's typical, kids sneak around, adults, adults sneak around, God, and sometimes we don't get caught, and it doesn't seem like God's going to move. Well, what happened here in his life was he was caught, but because the thunder didn't erupt from heaven, he kept going. And what happens here in this spiral downward is several things. Let me give you the first. Gideon's rival form of worship opened the door for national idolatry. Look at verse 33. We'll skip ahead a little bit. Then it came about as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal bereave their God. It's as if the, the Israelites were waiting for this old judge to die. And as soon as he dies, well, we're already used to worshiping something else in some other location, in some other way. That's just the first step toward idolatry. And they were ready. Baal was already in their blood. Number two, Gideon's refusal to obey Scripture opened the door to further or personal sin. And three sins are revealed. The first one we've already talked about, but let me restate it. Number one, Gideon's lifestyle directly ignored the authority of Scripture. You and I, as he did, have two authorities in our lives. One, it's either the authority of this book, God is the author, and if we place ourselves under this authority, we're going to end well. But if I refuse to submit to the authority of the word and pull myself out, I am in need of something to be the thing that calls the shots in my life. What's the authority? I become the authority. My feelings, my reasoning, my logic, my desires become the authority. 
And so what happens to Gideon? He follows the way of his flesh. Number two, Gideon's lifestyle degenerates into the pursuit of sensuality. Look at verse 29. Then Jeroboam, that's his nickname, the Baal conqueror, the son of Joash went and lived in his own house, and it must have been some house because verse 30 says, Now Gideon had 70 sons who were his direct descendants, for he had many wives. He's a famous leader. You know, leaders should have more, so he had more. This was a typical Canaanite perk of power, but it was a direct violation of Deuteronomy chapter 17, which Gideon knew. You will not multiply wives, period. Is Gideon fulfilled in this sensual lifestyle? No, look at verse 31. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son. Concubine is the social euphemism for mistress. He has perhaps 50 to 60 wives. Is he satisfied in his lifestyle? No. He's got something on the side down there in Shechem, which, by the way, is a Canaanite city. She's a Canaanite girl, and she bears him a son as well. Gideon's compromise is already destroying him. I came across a parable that they say is a Russian parable. A hunter was hunting in the woods for bear, and a bear came around the corner and pinned him to the ground. And the bear said, just what are you looking for? And the hunter said, well... I'm looking for a warm fur coat. And the bear said, well, that, that makes sense. Perhaps we can negotiate. I'm looking for a, a full stomach. Perhaps we can come to a compromise. Thirty minutes later, the bear ambles away, and on the ground is the hunter's cap and gun. And you're left to put the piece together, which you already have. The bear got his full stomach by eating the hunter. And the hunter got his warm fur Perhaps you have been running well, but maybe just recently you have stopped to talk to some bear. It may be in the form of flirtation at the office. It may be in the form of fudging business accounts. It may come in the form of padding your expenses. It may come in the form of some subtle manipulation, some egotistical pursuit. The bear and you are in the process of compromising. Perhaps it comes in the form of a test that you must cheat to pass. I was in the office of a president of a Bible college, and we were talking, and he happened to mention to me as we talked that there was a rash of cheating that had just broken out among the student body. You imagine a Christian student at a Bible college taking a, a test related to a biblical subject and cheating on it. That would be kind of like breaking into a Christian bookstore and stealing the Bible you've always wanted to have for your own. doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Neither does Gideon. My brother told me a story a couple of years ago about a fellow that he went to seminary with. This fellow was an excellent student, but my brother observed him on, in a Greek class cheating on a Greek exam. So after the class, he talked to him, confronted him about it, and he admitted it, that he had been cheating. In fact, he'd been cheating for some time, and he confessed to him. He, on his own volition, went to the prof, confessed, got things right. But something, my brother told me, still didn't seem right. 
they went through four years of seminary together, and on graduation day, God thundered from heaven. It seemed that this guy had been living with a girl, and he had told her, an unbeliever, that he was in law school. And they had evidently had quite a fight because she decided to kick him out, and she was packing his things. She came to some of his books, and she noticed that they were strange. They weren't law books. They were theology books. And stamped inside most of them, at least from the library, was the name of the seminary he attended. She called the seminary and asked, why does so-and-so have all of these books from your school? And they looked at their records and they said, because he's a student here and he's about to graduate. The brother told me that two of the professors went out to that apartment. They met with her and then they waited for him to return home, unsuspecting. He was finally caught. The tragedy is that God sometimes takes disaster to stop us. And I wish that something had happened here, but God allows Gideon to self-destruct in his pursuit. I want to list the third thing that happens in Gideon's spiral downward. Number three, Gideon's lifestyle develops into the practice and pride of a king. Notice verse 31, which is a very short phrase, but yet it packs. A punch. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. Now the word named him could be rendered appointed him. This is totally different than a little baby who's born, and the father picks out a name that he would like to see his son have. It was typical in ancient days for the father to appoint a nickname for his grown son. In fact, Gideon, you remember, was nicknamed by his father, Jerob Baal? That means my son is the Baal fighter. Well, Gideon gives his grown son a nickname, Abimelech. It means my father is a king. You remember verse 23? The people said, Gideon, rule over us. And he said, no, I will not be your king. God is your king. And 40 years later, we read that he has developed, because of his sensual lifestyle, his compromise, now he comes to the point where he is feeling like, he is acting like, he has a king's harem, and now he has a son. And he has given him a nickname. And every time they call this son's name, it is a reference to the fact that Abimelech's father Everyone will lose. This will become the last period in the book of Judges where there is peace. The cycle stops here. You never read again of the nation Israel worshiping as a unit. The future judges will be tainted themselves with sin. A future one that you all know, Samson, will follow soon after Gideon. It seems that Gideon has lowered the standard for good. In the next chapter of the book of Judges, it will literally drip with the blood of his 70 sons who will be killed by Abimelech. The heavens did thunder. God did collect. Let me summarize this biography two ways quickly. Number one, if I could summarize the life of our study, our five-fold study in the life of Gideon, I think I can whittle it down to two simple phrases. Number one, Faithlessness in the past may become faithfulness in the present. 
No matter how insignificant you may consider yourself, if you submit to the authority of God, God can use you. He used this timid farmer from Ophrah and made him a judge, made him a warrior, made him the bail fighter. There is no telling what he can do with you and me if we submit to him. Gideon's faithlessness in the past became faithfulness in the present. But number two, faithfulness in the present may become failure in the future. And that's how Gideon's story ended. He was a great leader. A book in my library that is nearly 150 years old, composed of writings by many different men. Let me quote the words of this one commentator who lived nearly two centuries ago. God has a way or two ways of trying men, one in the furnace of affliction and the other in the refining pot of prosperity. And this is the much harder trial of the two. Affliction tends to humble and soften and subdue, but in prosperity, self-esteem, self-reliance, self-satisfaction, self-will, pride, and security are prone to spring up with a rank luxuriance. The scriptures teach us here the danger of prosperity and the inability, notice this carefully, the inability of the human heart to drink a full cup of success without becoming intoxicated by success. This is the story of Gideon as you see him intoxicated by his own prosperity, his own success, his own prominence, his own status. You see him staggering and stumbling over the finish line. And we echo the words of the Apostle Paul who said, I have finished my race. I've run it well. I've finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. What is he talking about? Earning heaven? No. He's talking about a unique reward given those who finish the race, who end well, who submit to the authority of God, even in the last lap. If God should so choose to write today the last few words of your life and close the book on the biography of your life, would you have ended well? If his hand were to put down the divine pen that was recording the deeds, the acts, the thoughts, the passion, the purpose of your life, would it end well? I'm not talking about perfect people. I'm talking about progressing people who have a passion to follow God. May we learn from this man never to step out of the race, to keep running, to keep following, to keep submitting, so that we may end well. Perhaps I have been speaking to someone who needs to submit today. The Spirit of God has made it very clear to his authority to allow him to close the present chapter in your life called unfaithfulness and begin a new chapter called faithfulness. Perhaps you need to admit to yourself and to God that your biography is headed toward the wrong conclusion. Would you allow Christ to do surgery in your heart now? 
However the Spirit of God has pointed his finger, perhaps you're running and you have needed encouragement. May this passage be that. But to all of us a challenge. Never stop the race. By his grace, to end well. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Jesus Christ to the best of every time. No, I only must have been all the truth. Remember to the end of them, no, for Jesus Christ. Lift them high. I'm not here for Christ. Bust the place, bust the place. No, 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 but yeah. This song right here is dedicated to all my people that felt like giving up. And you didn't think she was going to make it.
Franklin, and he reigns the melody. Our Sunday school lesson is coming from Psalms 96, verses 1 through 6 and 10 through 13. Devotional reading, First Chronicles 16, 23 to 34. A print, Psalms 96, verses 1 through 6, 10 through 13. Background scripture, Psalm 96. And the key verse, Psalm 96 and 1. O oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. That's our Sunday school lesson of the day. I hope you go out and have yourself a wonderful Sunday morning. Listen to The Lighthouse on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. The following is a presentation of God Questions Ministries. What signs indicate that the end times are approaching? Matthew 24, verses 5 through 8 gives us some important clues so we can discern the approach of the end times. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. An increase in false messiahs, an increase in warfare, and increases in famines, plagues, and natural disasters. These are signs of the end times. In this passage, though, we are given a warning. We are not to be deceived, because these events are only the beginning of birth pains. The end is still to come. Some interpreters point to every earthquake, every political upheaval, and every attack on Israel as a sure sign that the end times are rapidly approaching. While the events may signal the approach of the last days, they are not necessarily indicators that the end times have arrived. The Apostle Paul warned that the last days would bring a marked increase in false teaching. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. The last days are described as perilous times because of the increasingly evil character of man and people who actively resist the truth. 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 9. Other possible signs would include a rebuilding of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, increased hostility towards Israel, and advances toward a one-world government. The most prominent sign of the end times, however, is the nation of Israel. In 1948, Israel was recognized as a sovereign state, essentially for the first time since A.D. 70. God promised Abraham that his posterity would have Canaan as an everlasting possession, Genesis 17, verse 8. And Ezekiel prophesied a physical and spiritual resuscitation of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 37. Having Israel as a nation in its own land is important in light of end times prophecy because of Israel's prominence in eschatology. Daniel 10 verse 14. With these signs in mind, we can be wise and discerning in regard to the expectation of the end times. We should not, however, interpret any of these singular events as a clear indication of the soon arrival of the end times. God has given us enough information that we can be prepared, and that is what we are called to be. God Questions Ministry seeks to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by providing biblical answers to today's questions. Online at gotquestions.org. This is Ann Graham Lott with Daily Light for Daily Living. 
some of the most miserable people are those who have unconfessed sin and rebellion in their heart against God. And Cain is the perfect example. Cain had not only been created by God, he had been created for God. Genesis 4.16 says, But Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Sin in the presence of a holy, righteous God must either be confessed and cleansed, or the sinner must leave God's presence. What a tragedy. Cain's life illustrates the hard lesson. If you refuse to turn to God in repentance, guilt will drive you away from him. Think about it. Bitterness rooted in resentment and rebellion can impact a family for generations to follow. Cain's descendants were notorious for their wickedness. Don't leave the presence of God. Confess your sin now. Your descendants will be blessed. This is Ann Graham Lodge. They call, send letters, email, and visit your home. They're not friends or family. They're con artists, scammers, and criminals. In times like these, it's important to learn how to protect yourself. Credit card schemes, bogus investment opportunities, and free vacation scams are just a few ways that today's criminals target you and your family. Protect yourself. Never give anyone your social security number, credit card, or bank account information unless you initiated the call. Stay informed of current scams by contacting your Attorney General's office and Better Business Bureau. If you're a victim, reporting the con to the local authorities will prevent others from suffering the same fate. To learn more about how to keep your family safe from con artists and scams, visit ncpc.org. That's ncpc.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Now rejoice, all the nations of the earth now rejoice. 
God wrought? That question from the Bible, Numbers 23:23, was the first official message tapped on the first telegraph in May 1844. Long-distance communication has changed dramatically since dots, dashes, and Bible phrases. I don't know that anyone recorded the first text message or the first Twitter tweet, but something tells me neither had much to do with God, and that's too bad because he wrought them as well. God is the ultimate communicator. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge. In our hurry-up world of cell phones and instant messages, remember the many miracles, including technology, that God has wrought. In all the ways we communicate, it's good to keep that message in mind in the high calling of our daily work. For more information, visit ourdailywork.org. Have you ever dreamed of being a karate master? Well, stop dreaming and start chopping with the Karate Glove. Hi, my name's Molly, inventor of the Karate Glove, and I have just one and a half words for you. Hiya! The Karate Glove chops through anything. Just put it on and instantly chop through wood, Hi-ya! concrete, Hi-ya! brick walls, Hi-ya! trees, Hi-ya! small cars. It can even chop through these eight guitars. It chops things. If I can invent a karate glove, just imagine what you can do. Visit inventnow.org to get started on your invention. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. It's Haya time! Is this radio spot where Nikki Baker's life, it would start pretty normal, like this. But, but then, then right, right around here, her life would take a bad turn with her mother abusing her. And about this far in, Nikki would drop out of high school and run away. Here, she'd be forced to work two jobs struggling to support herself and her daughter. She'd feel stuck, stuck, stuck. But then she'd decide to earn her GED diploma. She'd take my prep classes, study every night, and feel unstuck. Because she finally hears someone say, Nikki Baker, come up and get your GED diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. This is Morning Inspiration with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross, paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? And are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way. There is no other message. For there is no other way. There is no other message. Oh, come to him. Come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself wholly to him. And you too will enter into that joy sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How can I say thanks for the things you've done for me? Things so undeserved Yet you gave To prove your love to me The voices Of a million angels 
You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.